Uh, please meet me in 2 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. 2 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And can you please stand to your feet in reverence to God's holy word? 2 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. All right. And it reads, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us, and we will be with and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we, are, we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that, the, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. You may have your seat as Pastor Todd comes. Okay, go ahead and take this off. I'm already sweating. That's not a good sign for me or for you. I'll try not to raise my arms this morning because it's already a pond under there. Uh, stuff you don't aren't supposed to say in the pulpit. But it's good to be here with you this morning. We will continue our uh, journey through uh, the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But before I do that, uh, I just want to bring our attention to uh, this weekend. This weekend is Memorial Day. and uh, For all those that served and all those that gave their life for us uh, to have this freedom to come and be here, I think so often we take this moment for granted. Um, with people all over the world, our other brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world do not have this freedom, this uh, luxury to come into God's house to worship together. They have to do it in secret. Uh, but we have men and women who uh, laid down their life for our freedom that we would not have to do that. I'm always reminded of Memorial Day, uh, of probably the greatest Memorial Day, which is Easter, uh, that Jesus himself would lay down his life in, in a fight for us so that we would have uh, eternal life with him. Uh, so if you lost a loved one uh, serving us, I, I say thank you. And we do want to remember them this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump into God's holy word together this morning. God, we do come and we say thank you uh, to all of the men and women and their families who gave their life for us. Yet it is a sweet reminder for us of your death and resurrection for us, that you would lay down your life for us. We are reminded from your word that we are to lay our lives down for other people. I pray that we would do that. That God, we would fight for freedom. We would fight for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. And now, God, I pray that as we come into your holy word, that you would illuminate the scriptures to our minds, to our eyes, and ultimately to our hearts that would bring uh, to us to a place of transforming our lives to being different men and women. So lead us and guide us in your holy word this morning. And all of God's people said, Amen. 
I was telling the deacons before uh, the service, I've been studying this small little letter, and there's been moments I'm like, why did I say I was going to cover all three letters? I'm like, man, last week it ended so powerfully, and now I'm coming into this week's letter, and I was reading, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to say the same thing I've been saying for the last five months. What else new can I have to say? And then I was convicted that I don't have to say anything new. God's Word uh, will say what it needs to say for us. And so here we are in the second letter that John writes. We know that John is the writer of this small letter by this one word that he uses, elder. We'll circle that. We'll come back to that. But here's what John is saying to us in this letter. As first John was uh, uh, written to us, uni- the, the universal church. So not just uh, uh, one particular church, but the universal church, the universal believers of all the world. Well, well, now John is going to write to us an individual letter to a local congregation. And so think of it as he was writing to us here at Powell's Chapel, not the Southern Baptists, not globally, but a single letter to a single church. These are the three things that we're going to look at uh, through the next few weeks. These three things is how this letter is broken down. So if you're taking notes, it's this way. Verses 4 through 6, John is going to tell us he wants us to know the truth. Next, he says, verses 7 through 11, he wants us to walk in the truth. And then in verse 12 and 13, he wants us to abide in the truth. And, and you can take this whole letter and say, what is John writing this letter for? What, what would he take his time to write and pen a letter to a local church? The essence of this letter is these are the things that will make a healthy church. You want to know, and this is our assignment, this will be our assessment for us here at Powell's Chapel. Are we a healthy church? Not just are we a church, because that's that's easy, but are we a healthy church? Because the health of a church will then drive us to be on mission with God. If we're not a healthy church, we will have no mission to be on his mission. So I want to look at that this morning. So as you're hearing these words, as you're reading, as you go on the next few days, reading this small little letter, read it through the lens of this is what it takes to be a healthy church. This morning, we'll look at a few things of what it means to be a healthy church. Those few things are this. Every healthy church, every individual in this healthy church must have a personal relationship with Jesus. And then next, we'll look at we must not only have a personal relationship with Jesus, but we must know and understand the truth. Which means, I'll get to this later, there has to be people... Catch that word, people that teach the truth, not a person that teaches the truth, but God has called me to empower you to teach and preach. He says uh, through the Apostle Paul, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So yes, I'm a preacher, but I'm called to equip you to teach as well. So do you understand and know and teach the truth? And the last one is this, are we going to be a church that lives in obedience? So those are the few things that we'll cover This morning, now let's get to uh, the letter itself. This is what John says as he's writing. He says, the the elder to the elect lady and her children. There's much debate on this uh, first few words. We know for sure elder. Elder, John is talking about himself. John here is not talking about 
uh, his age, though he was an older man, he was uh, the last, at this point, he was the last living apostle, the last living disciple. He was the last person to ever walk with Jesus. So he's not saying I'm an old man. He's now saying I have a title that Christ has given me as an elder of the local church. What does that mean? He is saying I'm the pastor of the local church. What's the local church? The local church are those local bodies that make up the expression of the church. So we are a local expression of the universal expression of Christ's bride. And now John's going to say this is who he's writing to. To the elect lady and to her children. There's much debate about this. There's really two camps when you read commentary. What, who is John writing to? The first camp is this. He's writing to a woman. To the, to the elect lady and to her children. So there is a camp that believes, and you can see it. it it's just a debate. It, it's a theological debate. That he was pinning this to a local lady in a local church. And we don't know her name. We don't know who she is. The scholars don't tell us this. And she's writing to her children. The other camp, and the camp that I believe is true, is that the local lady and her children are twofold. The local lady is the local church. The chosen lady, or the elect lady, is the church. Now, how come I land there? I land there because of what Christ says about the church. What's the term that Christ uses about the church? That we are his bride. What is a bride? I know in America a bride can be male or female. I get that. But that is not true. The bride is always a woman. And it is referred to in God's word that the bride is a lady. We are the bride of Christ. So John is saying, I'm writing to you the local lady or the local church and to her children. Well, who are her children? This gives a place for us to come to a place of this is the understanding. If anyone's ever said, how come there needs to be membership in the church? Take them to first, second John. Because we have to make the church of local people, of a membership, that we're committed to the local body. And so that is what John is saying. I'm writing this letter to you, the church, and to all its members in the church. And he's saying, this is what it looks like to be a healthy church or to be a healthy member in the church. As you sit here today, the question you have to ask is twofold now. Is House Chapel a healthy church? And am I a healthy member within the church? Because the church cannot be healthy unless all of us are healthy. So if you are not healthy, the majority of us aren't healthy, what do you think that means for the body? We're not healthy. So John is saying, hey, I write you this. To the local lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth. He's saying, whom I love in Christ, who I love the truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us, will be with us forever. So the first thing that John is going to say, as he says, what does it look like for us to be a healthy body or a healthy member within the body? It first starts with this. It's not about your knowledge. It's about do you have a personal relationship with Christ? You cannot be a part of the body of Christ. You cannot be a member of the church 
And I don't mean walk an aisle, me, do the thing we got to do for you to be a member. I mean you are an active participant in the body of Christ, not a building, but are you in relationship with Jesus? Why do we say that? Because of what he says in those few words. He says, I'm writing to you, to the elders, and to the local or the elect lady, the chosen lady, and to her children. So we can take that word elect and put it on top of children. Now, what does that mean? What does the word elect mean? It, it means to be chosen. And so what John is saying here, it is that we have come into a personal relationship with Christ. Not that you sign your name on some piece of paper that says you want to be a member, but you have come to the knowledge of who Jesus is. He says it this way. He says, you got to do this. you got to know Jesus, right, to all who what? Know the truth. So in order to have a personal relationship with Jesus, you have to know him. And then he says, not only do you have to know him, because I think a lot of people know him, but the word there means you have to have an ongoing experience with him. Now ask yourself this question. Do you have an ongoing daily experience with Jesus? Meaning, am I engaging God in his holy word? This is how I have an experience with him. The next thing would be this. This is why church membership is so important. Are you interacting with Jesus at the local level in the church? So many people have said to me, I'm a Christian, but I don't do church. I'm like, I don't think you can be a Christian then. Because it's it's such a part that one cannot go without the other. If you are going to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you have to participate in the local church. So ask yourself that question. Do I believe in Jesus? And am I having an ongoing, knowing experience with Christ, both in his word and in the body? And he says this, not only do I know the truth, but what? The truth abides in me. So now, am I abiding daily in Christ? See, it's one thing to know him. We're going to get to this in a moment. It's one thing to know him. It's a whole other thing to abide in what he tells you to do. That's where he's going to tell us later on in this passage that we would, what? Live in obedience. Abiding is living in obedience. He says, then this, once you know him, once he's abiding in you, this is the promise that comes out of knowing and abiding, that you will be with us forever. You have eternal security. If you have ever heard you can lose your salvation, take them back to this passage. You cannot lose your salvation. It is impossible. It is a free gift from God that God has given to you. And Jesus himself says nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand. So if nobody means nobody, you include, you can't jump out of his hand. It's not like, oh, I'm in a tan, now I'm jumping out of a tan. There's nothing that you can do or I can do that gets me out of relationship with Jesus. So the question I have to ask then, if I'm not knowing the truth and abiding the truth and living in the truth, then am I really saved? Because those other things have to happen. You want eternal security, you better turn around and look what you're doing and not doing. Knowing and abiding. Therefore, you'll have eternal security. And then John says this, 
Take these three words next in the text. We say them often, grace, mercy, and peace. But John is going to say when you have a relationship with Jesus, you will understand his grace, you will understand his mercy, and you will have his peace. And so what is John saying? These have to happen in this order. He wrote them in order on purpose. So what does it mean? That, and how come he didn't write peace, mercy, and grace? He wrote them in order because of this. The first is this. When you have a relationship with Jesus, you will come to understand the grace of God, God's unmerited favor to you. Meaning you did nothing to deserve his love. Nothing. And it's the grace of God from, the, from all the eternity who went down to the corridor of life and he gave his son Jesus for you. That is God's grace, his unmerited favor on you. Grace is this, getting what you do not deserve. <clears throat> like your salvation, you did not earn it, you don't deserve it. It is a gift from God. So the first thing that John says in his letter, when he says you have a relationship with Jesus, then you'll understand the grace of God. And then you'll understand daily, I've been given this gift that I do not deserve. And that ought to do something in our hearts. That ought to stir something in us. That the God of the universe that loved me so much would send his son for me to die on the cross for me, to raise from the dead so that I would not spend eternity without him. He said, once you understand the mercy of God, are the grace of God, you'll come into the fullness of understanding the mercy of God. What's the mercy of God? The mercy of God is God's unfailing love for you. So the grace of God is his unmerited favor for you. God's mercy for you is his unfailing love for you. The mercy of God is this, not getting what you do deserve. So if God's grace is not getting what I don't deserve, God's mercy is not getting what I do deserve, what do I deserve? The wrath of God. That's called sin. Your sin, my sin, separates us from God. God will pour out his wrath on us. But when I come into a full knowledge of who Jesus is, receive the grace of God, I also receive the mercy of God. And what happens when I live under having the grace and the mercy of God? What does John say? Peace. Think about that for a moment. If you don't live in the peace of God, I wonder if you struggle with the grace and the mercy of God. If you don't have peace with God, you're probably confused about God's grace and mercy. Because he says if you understand God's grace, you understand God's mercy, you will live in the peace of God. It's been freely given to you. So the first thing that we have to say to ourselves, and ask ourselves as we look at the body, are we a healthy body? We understand who Jesus is. You see, so often, and especially now in the church, people say this all the time. And I hate the term. Let's be seeker sensitive. Meaning, we need to make sure we do everything in here so an unbeliever will come into here. That's not the church. One, one writer says this, if your church is full of unbelievers, then you don't have a church. How come? Because a church is full of believers. So this place ought never to look like the world. We, we want to be uh, loving and kind, but we, wanna, we don't ever want to dumb down anything that we're doing, especially about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. 
So if there's ever a time in the history of Powell's Chapel that our believers outweigh unbelievers, then we're in good, good standing. But if that scale tips, we're in trouble. If the majority of the people in this building become unbelievers, we're doing something wrong. How come? Because Christ says this about the church. The church is super offensive to unbelievers. Super. He says the gospel is offensive to unbelievers. So if the church becomes so much like the world that the world and the church, you can't tell a difference, there's a problem. What's the problem? Then you must not have a true relationship with Jesus. He goes on to say this, so do we, do you, do we as a church have a true personal relationship with Christ? He says next, a healthy church will understand the word, will understand the truth. He says this, this is my like version of what, I know John's an older man, what he says, I rejoice greatly. I, I feel like... I, I've envisioned John being a smaller guy, like not this big guy, and I just envisioned him like jumping around in his room, like rejoicing, like like I, I don't. That's just my version of what little John is doing. He might have been a really tall man, I don't know, but he's like so excited about hearing the news of these people in the local church that what I rejoice greatly to find some of your children, some of your members, what walking in the truth. Just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady or dear church, not as though I was writing to you a new commandment, but, but one that we have had from the beginning, that you love one another. And this is the love that you walk according to this commandment. And this is the commandment. Just as we have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. The next is this. Do we understand truth? You see, he's saying over and over again, he says, uh, do, we, do we demonstrate the love, the commands of the Lord? He, he says, uh, I believe it's five times he uses the word command in the passage. Well, in order to live God's command, you've got to know God's command. Which means this, if there's ever a day in this pulpit that I'm not teaching God's word to you, let me go tomorrow. It's my job, my primary responsibility of all the things I'm called to as a pastor. The primary call of an elder is to preach God's word. We see that in, in Titus. We see that in Timothy. Remember in Acts chapter, I believe it's uh, chapter 2, 3, and 4, that the elders of the local church are, are busy doing a lot of things. They're busy doing a lot of good things. But then they come together as the, as the elders and say, Hey, we're neglecting what? The preaching and teaching of God's word. And so for me, for you, it is my job that you would understand the word of God. But Paul also says this. He also says that you are to be like Bereans and go study it on your own. So please, take what I say on a Sunday morning and go home and study it for yourself. You may come to different conclusions. If you come to different conclusions, let's sit down in my office and have a conversation so that I can glean from you and you can glean from me so that we would both understand the truth together. I think so often we think pastors, we go to seminary, we know the word, 
Well, the same Holy Spirit that reveals God's word to me is the same Holy Spirit that lives in you. It's not because I'm a pastor I've got some direct line to Jesus that you don't have. So use the Holy Spirit in you to ask God to illuminate your heart to God's word. He will, I promise he will do it. And I know at first you're going to be like, I don't understand it. I understand the Bible is difficult to understand. It's difficult for a human mind to understand. It is not difficult for the Holy Spirit that lives in you to understand. How come? Because he's, he's the one to help write it. You have the one that wrote the word of God in you. You ever read a love letter and you're like, I don't. Like Jenny last night, she sent me this poem, this love letter poem, and I read it. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get poems to begin with. She didn't write it to me. I'm not saying she wrote it. If she wrote it, I would not be using this as an illustration. I'd be like, I got it, even though I didn't get it. But she sends me this, this love letter poem, and I'm reading it. I'm like, I don't understand it. Like, I'm feeling dumb. Now, I've talked to her, and she understands literature. She understands all that. But if I had sat down with the person that wrote it, they would be able to explain every line, every stanza in the love letter that made sense to them, and then what? It would make sense to me. That same Holy Spirit that wrote God's Word dwells in you as the believer. So here's the deal. You can understand the Word of God. Please do not be intimidated by the Word of God. The last thing that John says is this. Not only are we to have a personal relationship with Jesus, we understand the truth, the Word of God, but in understanding my relationship with Jesus, understanding the Word of God, I have to live with obedience. How many of us know God, read God's word, but don't live in the obedience of what we know, what we read? And that is what John says here again in the text. I'll read the passage again so you see it. I rejoice greatly to find some of you walking in the truth. What he's saying in that is your experience, you're walking, you're living in obedience with the truth. Just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I was writing you a new command, but the one that we have heard, have had from the beginning, that you love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandment. This is the commandment, just as we have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. He gives two things. To live in obedience is to love God and to love other people. Is that not what he's told us all of 1 John? He's saying to us, in order for us to live in obedience, we must first love God. The second is that we must love one another. Here's the deal with love. Love is more than a feeling. It's an act of the will. If you're waiting to feel the love for someone in this place, that might not take, it might take you an eternity. But we have to ask God to give us the willpower to go and love each other, even when we don't want to. Anyone ever been there before? You're like, I don't really want to. I don't really like that person. Kind of a, as my father would say, how in the coon dog am I supposed to love somebody? But it's an act of the will. But the act of the will is what? Submissive to Christ. And when it's submissive to Christ, then it lives in obedience. So it's not my will any longer. 
the will of the Father, but live in me. And so I'll say this in closing. Are these three things true of you? Are these three things true of Palace Chapel? Do we have a personal relationship with Christ? Do we as a body understand God's holy word? And are we living in obedience? Here's what is true for me. If I were to write Palace Chapel a letter, I would start my letter the same way that John does in verse 4. Because this is so true for me over the last few years being with y'all. I rejoice greatly finding that some of the children are walking in the truth. It's been an amazing, amazing journey for me to be your pastor because I've seen so many of you submit your life to the Lord first. I've seen you submit after your life to the Lord, then to understand God's word. And now we're beginning to live in obedience to all that he has called us to. May we in a hundred years, would these three things be true about Powell's chapel? That we have a personal relationship with Christ, that we understand God's holy word, and that we live in obedience to what God has called us. Can you pray for us this morning?